Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you all had a great break. I wanted to let you know about something that I've been talking a lot about on social media at Zibby Owens, which is the hashtag 22 and 22 challenge. We are at Zibby Books. We are encouraging everybody like all of you to visit 22 bookstores in 2022. And we're going to provide a whole series of incentives for every five visits and you'll be entered to win a $500 shopping spree and you'll get fun things like bookmarks and all the rest. Plus, you'll be part of a great community of people all helping support bookstores, authors, and more. We're really, really excited about it. If you want to join, sign up. You just go to 22in22.net. That's 22in22.net and click I'm in and put your information. And then every time you go to a bookstore, you just quickly go back on the site and click log a bookstore visit. And then we'll be keeping track and we'll be following up with all of your different achievements and awards and everything. So please sign up, spread the word, 22 and 22, get your friends to join and start visiting bookstores and 
it'll be really fun and exciting. So here's to a wonderful 2022. I'm so excited that you're listening to my podcast and doing all the fun things that I have been trying to bring into the world. So here we go, 2022. Hashtag 22 in 22. Zilkil Gonzalez is the author of Olga Dies Dreaming, a novel. She received her MFA from the Iowa Work Writers Workshop, where she was an Iowa Arts Fellow and the recipient of the Mishner Copernicus Fellowship for Fiction. By the way, her name is spelled X-O-C-H-I-T-L. An excellent Scrabble word. Not really, though, because it's a name. Never mind. Anyway, Olga Dies Dreaming is her debut novel. Prior to writing, she wore many hats, including entrepreneur, wedding planner, fundraiser, and tarot card reader. She's a proud alumna of the New York City public school system and holds a BA in art history and visual art from Brown University. She lives in her hometown of Brooklyn with her dog, Hecta Laveau. Welcome, Sochil. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to read books to discuss Olga Dies Dreaming. Thank you so much for having me. I'm like very excited to chat about this. Like, especially, I think you're a native New Yorker also. Yes. I am a native New Yorker. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you tell listeners what Olga Dies Dreaming is about? Yeah. So Olga Dies Dreaming is a family saga set primarily in Brooklyn and secondarily, I'd say in Puerto Rico. And it's set in 2017 in the months before and after Hurricane Maria. And it follows Olga Acevedo, who's a wedding planner to... Manhattan's elite and her brother, Prieto, who's a congressman representing Sunset Park in Queens. In reality, it'd be Nidia Velasquez's district. But uh, anyway, like in real life, it would be Nidia's district. Not that we're trying to get rid of her or anything, but my fictional politician. And they... (laughs) were abandoned by their mother when they were young children. Uh, their mom and their par- their parents were uh, young lords, which is sort of a political movement of the 70s, like the early 70s. And then their mother kind of continued to get radicalized and she left them to pursue more militant politics. And so they were raised by their grandparents, at, by their grandmother. And we meet them as adults where they're sort of forced through circumstance to confront a lot of wounds that they had kind of swept under the rug. And we're meeting them. I don't know. I kind of think of it as like a midlife coming of age novel in a funny way. Like, I think it's like, you know, we think of a coming of age novel only being about kids, but it's actually, I think we all all often meet middle-aged adults who have not healed. (laughs) So this is sort of my way of looking at how like, healing and forgiveness and sort of finding self-satisfaction can come at any stage in life. And and that's the, the gist of it. And it does get political and it involves natural disasters and it involves gentrification. But at its heart, it's really a story about family and love and, and lots of different kinds of love, like, you know, familial love, romantic love. And, you know, I always say it's really about resilience. So uh, it's I, I think in the end, it touches on some dark stuff, but I think in the end, I, I think of it as a pretty feel good kind of book. <laughs> well, that was a great description. And, you know, this is one of those books where the minute you start reading, you're drawn in right away, that sort of immediacy and relatability and just like intrigue and everything, right? It opens up with the wedding planning scene and this dichotomy between how the rich and the poor deal with their napkins at events. <laughs> But, you know, it also shows right away Olga's role in her family and the competition she has with her cousin and what it, how she tries to be almost a Robin Hood-esque 
wedding planner, right? Yes, <laughs> like, yes, totally. Yes. Spoils from the weddings and, and bring them home. <laughs> and it's just, it's an example of, of creating a likable character like immediately. Right. Which is great. Even if you're, I don't know. I, I just love, you know, it was just great. I, I think it's kind of fun to like, I think it's kind of fun to have like morally dubious but likable characters because I do think I don't know we were just chatting before we started recording even about like one of the things that the pandemic has revealed is all of our weird flawed logic like yes. it's like well I I won't go to this but I was gonna go to my parents 50th wedding anniversary like it's like like we there and I think we all sort of have weird logical patterns that I think this is is exposed. Like we used to try to pretend that we all think normally about everything. And I think like Olga is like, she just has this bizarre logic pattern that somehow you're like, you follow it. You're like, I think what you're doing might be wrong, but like I follow where you're going with this. (laughs) Like you go along for the ride. And I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun writing that. I always say that she's kind of like, if I'd never gone to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually like the best writing assignment ever. Write a character as if you'd never gone to therapy. You like in a world where you you hadn't gotten help. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, And you just like extrapolate like where you were at when you started therapy and like all of your worst traits and just like amplify them. (laughs) I would be like stuck on a street corner, turning in circles, like not being able to make any decisions or like going one way, changing my mind, going another way. I would literally be like in one place changing my that's mind. Right. That's what right? I was like. I was like, I was like, I would just be the pettiest person in the world. Like I'd be like so competitive. I was like, so like, like, you know, like I was, this would be like really an intriguing exercise. And actually it was a lot of fun. Like, you know, when you're like, well, is she in a relationship? It's like, how could she be in a relationship? Like, you know, like you're like, it's like, you really, it was a great way to like make choices about the character, I think in a lot of ways. So it was kind of, a, it was a fun bizarre exercise. And then, you know, it's hard because you have to be like, she goes through a lot in the book and you have like, you kind of come to love these people, but you have to do mean things to them. And, you know, I, <laughs> it's like, like, and I think like that was like a, I think in the name of growth, it was like easier to do mean, it's like, okay, but she could stand to become a better person and maybe she's going to learn something from this. So like, you know, it was, it was that, that was my way of being mean to my own characters that I came to kind of really like. You're so funny. (laughs) So take me back. So I know you're from New York. I know you went to Brown where you were class president as we were just chatting about, (laughs) which is awesome. Tell me, tell me more. Tell me about your name. Tell me about like where your name comes from. What happened after college? Like I want to hear your whole backstory. I'm fascinated. So, I mean, my dad's side of the family is Mexican-American and uh, he was very involved in like the kind of Chicano power movement. And my mom was very involved in the Socialist Worker Party and very very politically motivated and militant around like independence for Puerto Rico and reparations for the women that had like sterilization experiments conducted on them there. Like, but which by the way, was a giant part of how we came to actually have uh, FDA approved birth control were these experiments that were conducted in Puerto Rico. But that's an aside. So my parents were very militant and were kind of constantly traveling. And so when I was about three, I went to live with my mom's parents in Brooklyn, in South Brooklyn. And, you know, I just kind of like, I was always a good student. Like, I think I definitely was, you know, I I, I always was very, just that kind of came naturally to me. I was a big reader. Like I, I, I tell people, I was like, it's hard to imagine the Brooklyn I grew up in was like cabs didn't go there. 
Like we didn't take cabs. Like, I mean, like we were very much like in this little pocket of of, a blue collar pocket of Brooklyn. And my grandparents would dump me in a library after school, like to like kill time until they were home because that was like a safe space to be. And so I just kind of grew up reading. And then I went to an amazing high school. I just actually wrote about it for the Atlantic uh, because we had like a great theater program. It was in Brooklyn, Edward R. Murrow High School. And I had a teacher that was like, you should try to go to Brown. Like, I think you would love it there. And I really had not thought about going I wanted to go away. I wanted to get out of Brooklyn badly at that that phase of my life. And then as soon as I got out, I was like, I want to go back. (laughs) But, you know, they were like, I think you would really like Brown. Like it's, you know, it's got a similar vibe. It's very artistic and all these things. And I, and it was totally true. And then to be completely frank, like I think afterwards I studied fine art and art history and afterwards, like my family just like was wonderful, like so proud of me, unprepared to like offer any kind of like advice. Like nobody in my family knew like how to get a job at a gallery or like, you know, like no one really had like next steps. And I think at that younger age, I was just a little lost, you know, I feel. And I think that was one of the things I I, I had the chance to talk to Sandra Cisneros a couple of weeks ago for a I just festival. interviewed her. I just oh, she's amazing. Her two and days she, ago. I love she's her. She's amazing. She's amazing. Love. And one of the things that I said to her is that I was like, I never knew what happened to Esperanza when she left Mango Street. And I would read it as as I got older and I would like cry because it was like, oh my God, so many hard things are going to happen to you and you're not going to know what to do, but you're going to have left and that's the right thing to have done. And so I, I you know, I, I, I worked in a little art gallery. I, I got a job in advertising, like pr- planning like this award show for advertising. I then started like you know, a creative director asked me to help with their wedding from an ad agency because like they just sort of thought I had like good vibes. And they, they, you know, they didn't want to have the normal plaza wedding. And so like we ended up carving this like niche, my business partner and I, who's my best friend, but we ended up carving this niche where we did like luxury hipster weddings, right? Like, and that was like our thing. And we were very successful at it. I mean, but running a small business is very tough, especially like if you come from kind of a, you know, I think a lot of Latina women, a lot of, of women of color, actually, like just generally entrepreneurship provides you a lot of lee- uh, of leeway, but often we're undercapitalized. So we did great. But then, we, you know, you're like surviving a recession. You're surviving like every little thing. Like I remember last year at the start of the pandemic, I, I remember just having like a fit of anxiety on behalf of all of my friends in events because I was like, oh, my God, like just an entire industry is just iced out right now. And that, like, that is very much something that I did want to keep and capture in, in, in Olga actually was this idea of like the hustle, you know what I mean? Like the hustle that kind of comes and, and also a little bit of like, I don't quite know what I'm doing. And sometimes you're like, and I don't quite know how I got here. Like 13 years later, I was like, how I've been a wedding planner for 13 years. Like, it's like, how did this happen? And I, I felt this antsiness I'd call it like an intellectual antsiness. I mean, I went to Brown. I was kind of a nerd. Like I like I mean, I wrote like an honors thesis. Like I, I was like very like a, like kind of academic. And I just and I was also an artist. And I just had left all that behind. And so my grandmother, who had raised me, I was raised by both my my grandparents. But my grandmother was my last living grandparent. She actually say I was raised by three of my grandparents because I'd spend summers with my grandmother in California and then winters in Brooklyn. And my last living grandparent died. And I was turning maybe a month before I turned 40 and we were supposed to go to Puerto Rico for my 40th. And then Maria happened like, right. And so we couldn't take the trip. Like it was like in between Irma and Maria. And I just was like, what are you, not even just what are you doing? And I had a really good friend pass away maybe 
two years, but a year before that at 38, like she was 38 when she passed away. And I think I was just sort of like, what are you doing? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, like, what are you doing? Like, it's like, you're doing, sometimes I think when we do things really well, like people compliment you and they're like, you're doing such a great job. And like, but you therefore feel like, well, I can't not do this, if that makes sense. Like, and it's almost scarier to walk away from something that you're doing pretty well than it is to walk away from something you're doing mediocrely, right? And so really, I just was like, I'm going to just try to do this. And so, you know, thank God my business partner is like one of my best friends. Like she, I stepped away from the business. We ended up selling it to the person that was doing the bulk of the wedding work at that point. Anyway, I got a day job. Like I was like, I think it'll be easier to have a nine to five job. Like even a hard nine to five job is easier than running your own business just for creative space. And I went to Breadloaf as like a contributor I started out in nonfiction and then I like kind of found a writing group there and I started working on fiction and I decided to apply for my MFA because I, I got so much better in 10 days at Breadloaf. I was like, let me see what, what happened. And my thought was, I was like, let me just really like the original thought is let me just go at night, get my MFA in New York. I'll work on my book, like, you know, in mornings and weekends and, you know, and then hopefully I can sell it. And then we had a job in publishing or something, you know, like I was like, a, I was like maybe you can be like a middle-aged Lat- Latina Tony Morrison without as much talent, like where I was just like, you'll edit, you'll write. Like, you know, I was like, I, I, and, and then I, I ended up getting into Iowa. And so I was like, I was terrified. I had a rent stabilized apartment. And I was like, what are you going to do? Give up this apartment? And then my best friend was like, it's going to take you twice as long to do this any other way. Just go to Iowa. And so I walked into Iowa with like 200 pages of Olga. I started Olga the day I found out I got into Iowa, coincidentally, like I had the idea, like just coincidentally, and this whole thing's been so weirdly blessed. And then I finished it my first semester I polished it during my winter break. I did revisions. I went down to Puerto Rico and I did revisions there. And then and then it sold at the beginning of my second semester. So it was sort of this like very, like it was really like a gamble that like absolutely paid off. And I don't have a day job now. Like this is my job. I'm writing. <laughs> so this is really lovely and amazing. And it was just like this like weird thing of finally listening to like the voice, you know what I mean? Like, and just, I don't know. I think like, I always think my grandmother is like such a happy ghost. Cause I feel like it was like, she was just like, go oh, do this, do this, do this. Like, and it was kind of this beautiful, yeah, this beautiful thing. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, 
and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's amazing. I love that story. <laughs> Wait, so I'm confused. So how much had you, had you finished the whole manuscript when you sold, when you sold it? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, well, I went from New York to Iowa City. So I had... 200 pages of what's basically like a th- almost a 400 page book, but not quite. But I got to Iowa City and I was so much older. You know, let me just say, like, an MFA is a, a fully funded MFA is an awesome way to get the hamster wheel of adulting. Like, if you're middle aged and like out of a stage where you can do that, that was the one benefit. You know, I had been married. We didn't, we got divorced without having kids. Like, and I had moments where I was like, oh, was that like a mistake? You know, and the only good thing is like, it was very easy to pack up your life, right? And that only good thing, there's other good things about it. But like, like it was like, it was one of those moments where you found the agency of that. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it was like, oh, like you can just go like, which is kind of exciting. Like you're like, I'm kind of, you know, this like, I don't want to say unaccountable, but I'm like, I can just go and do that. Like, and now I'm going to do it. And so I got there that, that also says like, I really had a lot. I, I was dedicated on the nights and weekends before I got to Iowa to like working on this book. As I was obsessed, 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 like obsessed. And then I got to Iowa. I was so much older than all the other students, like so much older. Like the average age in the program, I think, was like twenty six, like twenty five, twenty six. And I was like, I turned forty three, like the from school. <laughs> No, 42, 42. And I was like, okay, well, what else are you going to do? I was like, there's nothing to do in Iowa City. Like the food's okay. Like there was one place that made a decent martini. So I like, I think I left the house like three times a week. Like really, like I was like, and I just was like, I'm just going to hang out with my imaginary friends here and in my apartment. And so I just was kind of around the clock. It was just, and it was super exciting because like, when you have something that you can do that you get in the zone and you're a writer, it's like, it's just more often life pulls us away from the zone than it is not wanting to be there. And so it was this amazing present to just like get to live in that space. And I just cranked out an unbelievable amount of work and that I don't, I didn't feel badly about, but on revision, you know, everything gets better on revision. Like it was, everything gets better on revision, but the shape of the story was always kind of the shape of the story, like not a ton Changed. I think the the amount of the amount of of room that Prieto gets and their relationship got stronger on revision, but definitely the first draft was pretty close in terms of spirit and 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 plot, like um to what it currently is. So that was sort of I, I don't know. I I think it felt like it came out relatively formed in this weird way. But I I, I feel only because it was placed there by something bigger than me. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I love that. I love it. I love the vision of you sipping a martini in the middle of Iowa. <laughs> I'm like de- desperate for company with like all these young people no, totally. around you. I just love that. Totally. I was like, I was like, go to like this one place and I'm like, are you really eating oysters in Iowa? But it was like, like the, it was like, like it just felt the, it was like there was like a raw bar and like they made a decent martini. And I was like, I guess I'll come here once a week. Like <laughs> just to feel like normal. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. I just love it. Okay. So you sold the book and then what I happened? I sold the book. And then shortly after, like I, shortly after I sold the film rights and this is the awesome parts about doing stuff old, like, okay. Like, you know, my agent, like old, older, older, my agent said to me, I met this guy 
through my agent, who's a director and producer. And he had uh, Alfonso Gomez at home, and he had done Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. And he'd done a bunch of like American horror stories and won an Emmy for it. And like, so I, I was already sort of a fan of his work. And my our agents introduced us and he was like, I want to work on this with you. And then like prior to that, my agent had said, you know, we have a better chance of selling these rights if you weren't attached, you know, because you haven't screenwritten and sometimes people don't want to work with authors. And I felt because this character was basically a version of me that had not gone to therapy with a brother and a grandmother, like, oh, instead of grandparents, I was like, okay, no, like I, and so I said, I was like, well, it's 10 AM in California. If by six o'clock you can find me another middle-aged New Yorkian like screenwriter to talk to, I'll consider stepping off. I was like, but I need to know who, like, I, I was like, because like, I'm also part Mexican-American. I was like, and I was like, it's not the same. Like, it's very specific. Like what, this world is very specific. And two hours later they called and they were like, let's just go out with you attached to it. And then like, like a week later, I mean, we got an offer from Hulu. And so that is how that kind of came together. I'd already sort of fallen in like creative love with Alfonso and, and our vision of it together. And then Hulu loved his work. And so it just kind of came together. And so I spent my, my second year of the program, basically like screenwriting, like the pilot and working on like, you know, doing the show Bible and then doing revisions on the novel. And I, it was kind of a strange time. Like I would be in workshop, like on a zoom and then like have to like duck out for five minutes, to take a notes call. Like you're like, hold on one second. So it was very, but I was really determined to finish, you know, like I had like, it's weird. Like I had a bunch of people that were like, you don't need to finish this program, but like, I'd always wanted to get my, my grandparents always wanted me to get their, my math. Like, what they understood was school. And they were like, why don't you have a master's degree? You're so smart. And I was like, I'm just doing this for my, in some weird way, I was doing it for my grandparents. And I think, I don't know, it was a great, it was a really cool, it's been a really cool experience. And so I, as I've been prepping this, like we shot the pilot, we shot the pilot. We probably are just finishing up. We're finishing up like the audio mix now, but we wrapped October 1st, I think. And so we shot over the course of like a month. And now we just, we wait and see if it turns into a, a full-blown show or not. And, but it's been an, a beautiful adventure. And, you know, what was beautiful is, I think this is a great, I think a lot of, I, it's been gorgeous to see so many people from different walks of life relate to the story and to these characters and find themselves there. But it's been especially rewarding. I, I felt a real mission to write about like, you know, the challenges of upward mobility, but particularly about an American story about Puerto Ricans because we are part of America. And I think it's been really amazing. We did like the table read and it was over Zoom. I mean, there's like a cast of thousands in the script. Like it's like, because, you know, you're interacting with different clients and you have like different, like the world is so big. And 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 so many people that we cast were, are New Yorkans. So many people are Latinas, Latinos. And at the end, people just were like weeping. Like when we got to the end and like, and clapping. Oh. I mean, and it was like the, the most beautiful thing that I'd ever like seen on a Zoom, to be completely honest. And it was just so moving. And so I I mean, I think my desire to kind of even take it to the screen was just because I wanted the story to like be broad and like for people to see themselves like in that, in that way. And um, and I think it's not that, yeah, I do feel like 
I, I guess I set out to sort of write about the version. I, I was sort of frustrated that we keep getting such flat versions of ourselves. Like, and, you know, I, I think things are getting better on the book side for sure. Oh my God, there's a beauty. I think we're in the middle of like a renaissance of Latinx literature right now. That's really cool. But I definitely think on the TV and film side, we still like, you know, you see how things can get flattened and it's nice to like, I think there's also a change, sea change coming there, but like, it's exciting to be a part of that in some way. If you, if you find a great manuscript that needs a home, you know, I started this publishing company called Zibby Books a couple months ago and we are actively acquiring and would love to get something awesome. Uh, So anyway. No, no, no. Amazing. And you're wondering if you, if you, Think of something that would be a good fit. Okay, I will. I will definitely. And it's been, that's also been so cool, by the way, is like to that point is that like I, it's been really beautiful to like meet so many like Latinx and diverse just writers and readers that are so passionate. And that's been like a beautiful present that I hadn't been quite, I don't know, I guess that's dumb to not expect that, but like I... (laughs) you're so like, you're so worried about getting the revision right. And like, you know, like, and I've been wearing many hats now because it's like, I, I've been executive producing this show and then trying to like, you know, and the, the bringing a book out, it requires so much love and care and collaboration with your team. And like, and it's, you know, I think you're so in the midst of doing that you sometimes are like, oh wait, this good. People are going to feel something when they read something. And that's so crazy. And then they're so sweet to share that. And that's like a beautiful amazing thing. And also, I mean, just the name of your podcast, like, I think it's, a, it's one thing that I will say wedding planning taught me, I mean, many things, but time is the ultimate privilege, right? Like, and so like, I think it's the thing that is a commodity that universally is scarce, <laughs> no matter what your yes. walk of life is. And I, I think the idea that people value what you wrote enough to give you that time to read it is like, you know, it's, it's, it's an even greater transaction than the purchasing of the book in some weird way, because I understand how much that time, how hard that time is to come by, right? Like, it's like really, especially like, and I know it can be relaxing and all these other things, but like, I think it's hard right now, like so many people just working from home and raising families and like, I think it's what a, what a privilege that that time is spent with your book, right? Like, it's just really amazing. I feel the same way. Sometimes I'm like, it's amazing anyone still reads. I know. You know like when they're shortening TikToks from like 11 seconds to seven seconds for attention oh span. Oh my God, and yes. Yet, but, but they are, but you know, thank God. I mean, I love to read. You love to read. Like, I can think of nothing better. Like time stands still when I'm that's reading. Right. I think that's what I like that's about right. it. I stop... I stop the constant countdown that's usually in my head as soon as I'm in it and I have to like set an alarm or like make sure I don't miss the next thing when I'm totally in it. And I love that freedom. It's it's, it's a version of meditation in a weird way because it's like, it just pulls you out and makes time sort of stop. And yeah. And I think that that is, that's just, I don't know. That's a special thing. And in fact, it gets more and more special. And maybe that's why people are still reading because it's harder and harder to do that, right? Like, it's like, yeah, it's just harder and harder to do that. Even, you know, if you think about it, I remember years ago, it would be like rude to keep your phone out while you were at a meal. You know what I mean? Like, and like, it was just sort of like, you just didn't do that. And now it's like, like, it's so normal that, we're always in two places. And I think when you can get away from that, it's kind of nice. It's sort of great. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. yeah. 
Amazing. So now that this is your full-time job and you're working on your, you know, Hulu series and everything, are you going to do another novel or what's your plan? I'm in the midst of the second novel. I'm really excited about it actually. And I'm really excited about it. It's definitely a different process. Like I, I think I I romanticize now the writing of Olga because I had this unbridled time, like where you're not like pulled out of other things, but I'm very excited about it. And it's sort of a braided narrative that takes place uh, part of it's a campus novel in the in the 90s and part of it takes place in the New York art world and in the 80s so it go, time jumps a bit and it's like really it's about like lineage and creative power and like who's whose stories are taught and whose stories aren't taught and, and, and power dynamics amongst creative couples, which is something I'm just really interested in now. Yeah. It's definitely, it's going to be a cool one. I think I'm excited about it. Very, it'll be super different from Olga, but like, I think in a good way, I just, I just was telling my, my friend last night, I was like, you know, the one thing when you're, I am proud of this first book. Right. And it's like, but you have to like really work hard to not, be like psych yourself out and like not you know what I mean like it's like <laughs> I it's a lot I, I I remember years ago Emma Strauss like third novel came out and I was like that and I remember it being in my mind it's somebody that I just admire so much but like I remember being like now you're re- like that's a real novelist like one book, it's like life experience, two books, it's like, okay, like there was some more life experience, three books, you're like, all right, you're a real novelist. Like, <laughs> I guess like, I like at a certain point, like you can't keep mining the same stuff. So like, I'm excited that I, you know, I'm flat ironed given the second book a home and that that'll be great. But like, I definitely, it's important to me to preserve that art form. Because what I learned in doing television in any capacity was that the beautiful part about it is my version is the one that's like between the cover, like, and so you can be a little more flat, you know, like, it's like, okay, that would be better for story or like, yeah, let's make that guy his son instead of his brother, you know, like that'll look good, you know, just like for age diversity, like you can make, I don't even want to call them compromises, but different creative choices because your pure version is the version between the, the book binding. And that's kind of nice. Wow. Well, I am so excited. I, you know, if I were to put my money on a book that's going to be successful in 2022, I'm choosing yours. Oh my yours. gosh, thank you so I'm sure. much. I, I'm, I would be shocked if it's not a book club pick by one of these big people, but I'm sure you couldn't even say if it was. So anyway, <laughs> that's, my, that's my prediction. I'm putting it out here. It's November. It's December 2nd. I'm just oh saying it gosh. to the universe. Thank you, anyway. so, no, thank you so much for being so supportive and enthusiastic about it. It's just really lovely. No, I'm really excited about it. And yeah, I can't wait to see where it all goes and follow your success. And yeah. Thank you. That's oh it. my gosh. Thank you so much. This is really lovely to chat with you. And yeah, you I too. know. And I just love, I love that you do this. I think it's so cool. It's so great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, and I have this publishing company. I if know. you ever want to you know, get more involved or anything, or like, I feel like you would bring such amazing energy to like, I don't know. Very, anyway, we should, we should talk, talk we later. We should totally talk. It's so good. It's so good okay. to, to, to meet you. Okay. You too. Thank you, you so too. much. All right. Bye. Have a great day. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.